Hallelujah. Second Corinthians chapter 10. And that's our key scripture for the past three weeks. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 6. We've been talking about, you know, facing the giants. And we've identified that those giants are strongholds, you know, in our lives. Um, and we took time last week to sort of really break down what constitutes a stronghold. You know, because before you fight an enemy, you have to be able to recognize the enemy. And we said that strongholds are by nature hidden. They are, they, are, they are by nature quite elusive. You know, they are deep-seated. You have to dig deep for you to uncover it, for you to expose it. You know, but they extend their tentacles. Atten their tentacles are very much to the surface. They are very much you know, very keen to us. In fact, we hold them as who we are. We, we hold on to onto them as our personality. We have come to accept, you know, the suggestions and the imaginations and the arguments and the, you know, and the philosophies that these things project as our very own. We look at, you know, such structures of strongholds and we we say this is who we are. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, whether they are cultural, whether they are traditional, whether such identity or mindset is born out of a certain experience. And we said that different things can bring about the establishment of a stronghold in people's life. Amen. I gave about six classifications, you know, of what a stronghold is. And I said it's a mindset. Um, and it is, it is a mindset that is firmly formed in which we place confidence and identity. How many of us remember that last week? Did you remember that last week? That it's very structure, you know, that we place identity. You know, and we said that strongholds are like fortresses, you know. They house our value system. They house our, they, they house our you know, our ambitions, our goals. They are fortresses. They are like storehouses where we keep our treasures, the things we value. So sometimes, you know, the enemy works extra hard to make sure we value the wrong things. And those treasures, the, the, such treasures of carnality and of darkness are kept deep-seated in our hearts. And that is why it is so difficult to change and to dislodge some of those things because we hold on to them very tightly. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. False realities. Even though they are real, but they are false evidences. You know, uh, I think a long time ago, I, I, I come about somebody's definition of fear as false evidences appearing real. How many of us have heard that before? You know, they are real to you. You literally can touch them and feel them, but they are false evidences. Why? Because they are not based on the truth of God's word. They are, they, are not, they are not orchestrated by God, but they are real. You relate with them. Hallelujah. So a stronghold is like a, it's, it's a house of treasure where things are lodged, where things are structured. And they form the, sometimes they form the very core of who we are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, and that's why scripture says that the reason for God giving you the weapon of warfare you know, which scripture says is not carnal, but mighty in God. And the reason why God reinforces that weapon is because his ultimate desire is so that we dislodge all those strongholds. Am I making sense? 
Am I making sense? He wants us, those struggles to be what? To be dislodged because we will not come to the fullness of God's promises for our lives. We will not come to the fullness of God's will and counsel for our lives if those strongholds still exist. We said that the singular purpose of strongholds is to prevent you from possessing the promised land. Hallelujah. That's what they exist for. is to prevent you from what? From possessing. And you cannot lay claim to the land until you have dislodged the stronghold. In the same way that David couldn't lay hold on Jerusalem until he had conquered and taken over the Mount of Zion. Where the Jebusites had a fortress. Hallelujah. And it was the most difficult thing to take. That was why he made a promise that whoever is able to take that mountain Zion, he will become the captain and commander of David's army. And Joab stood up, stirred up by the spirit, and said, I'm going to take it. And he did. And he became captain. Hallelujah. So there is a special skill. Once you are, once you are able, and once you have strengthened of God to dislodge strongholds, you've gained great ascendance in the spirit. You've become a blessing not only to yourself, but even to other people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Imagine, you know, when Paul began to write about that there is no division between Jews and Gentiles. And began to speak by revelation that God has broken down the middle wall of separation. And that there is no bond of free. He, what he was attacking was strongholds that spanned generations and centuries. The tribal mindset that formed the very core foundations upon which the world was built. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, today we speak about the evils of racism in the U.S. And the worst cases of racism had always existed in history. <laughs> Amen. Of slavery, of, you know, bigotry and all kinds. In fact, men who existed those times were tribal by nature. If someone is not from your tribe, you kill them. Or you take them asleep. All this mutual... The only time men come to the negotiating table is when there is a strength for strength across the table. So they will say, okay, you are strong, I'm strong. Okay, it seems that like we can't fight each other. Okay, let's establish trade. And then they set specific boundaries while still trying very hard to see whether there is a weakness. Am I making sense? It's the reason why the, the quest of kings was to conquer the world. They were tribal in nature. And out of that grew all, kind of, all manner of evil things. Ethnic, ethnic, ethnicity, you know, racism and all these things. So when Paul began to speak concerning how if you're a new creation in Christ, all those strongholds are dislodged. It wasn't an easy thing for people to... It wasn't a, even some Christians, they haven't you read Galatians? When Peter went to, to, Galatia, to, to the Christians in Galatians, and then he was eating with them at the table, and then certain men came from James. Give me Galatians chapter 2. He said, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in a manner of Gentiles, and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to do what? To live as Jews, verse 15. He said, we who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not what? Justified by the works of the law, but by what? Faith. The Jews had this knowledge. They had this pride in the law. 
And by that understanding, they feel they are special and separate. So they don't relate with... In fact, the word Gentiles is vain people. It was a term given to others. You guys are like the... You guys are like the, the, you know, the shit, the, the, the terrible... We are the chosen of God. Hallelujah. Amen. So even when this gospel came, some Jews said, no, this gospel is for only the Jews. <laughs> Amen. Only the Jews. And there was that issue. There was that battle between, you know, and the early Christians when, and Peter had to tell them, especially when, when Peter went to, um, even Peter himself resisted the truth of God's word. Acts chapter 9, when he was praying, and the Bible says he fell in a vision, and, you know, a, you know, a container came from heaven, and so all manner of animals, the things that Jews shouldn't eat. And God told him, arise, kill and what? And, and Peter said, not so, Lord. Peter was speaking. Peter designed it was the Lord telling him to arise and kill. Yet that stronghold in his heart spoke back to God. That's how strong stronghold are. He said, no, Lord. I should not have been instructed not to eat this. It was the Lord. It wasn't that he wasn't sure whether it was the Lord speaking to him. Am I making sense? That's how serious strongholds can be. He said, not so, Lord. And God rebuked him. He said, whatsoever the Lord has called clean, do not what? Do not call unclean. That which God has cleansed, that which God has blessed, that which God has sanctified, do not call it another name. Hallelujah. And he rose from that experience and the messengers from Polinius came. And God couldn't wait for Peter to go through the moments of doctrine and all that. Scripture says, while he yet spoke, Bible, the Holy Ghost did what? He had not even said, okay, you know what, now, before he had, before, before, before Peter began to introduce his own doctrine, after the Holy Ghost fell, he now said, ah, it's like God has cornered me. He said, can any man forbid water that, that this should not be what? God has gone ahead of him. God was doing what? He was striking at some certain strongholds. Hallelujah. And for that purpose, God even had to raise Paul. Because Paul said, he said, he said the same grace that was working in Peter to the circumcision. Speaking about the Jews. He said, it was the same grace that was at work in me to the uncircumcision. Amen. It's the same grace. So God had to raise Paul for that purpose. To go and speak to the Gentiles. And to say that there is no difference. And then in certain places began to speak. I think it was first began to speak. There is no bond or free, no Sintian, no Jew, no Gentile. He said everyone is one in Christ. Hallelujah. That is the nature of strongholds. That's the nature of strongholds. Hallelujah. He said, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the Lord, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even as we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith and not by what? By the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be what? Shall be justified. By the works of the law, no flesh. So God was striking at the root of the strongholds that brings about division. There was a stronghold God was attacking. And he was bringing the spirit of wisdom and revelation to do what? To attack that stronghold. Because that's how you dismantle strongholds. Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. So we also said that strongholds are, you know, sometimes they come from imposing picture of fear and what? And worry. Strongholds are 
you know, are results of strongly held belief system. We, we talked about it very, very comprehensive last week. Traditional, physical, psychological value system. Value system. And we said it's a pattern of behavior that is also formed through culture and upbringing. And sometimes even by negative experiences. How many of us remember that? We said that last week. Struggles sometimes come from negative experiences. Low self-esteem. Negative experiences. Pride. Negative experiences. I met a lady, remember when I was serving, who believed that everyone that was, in quote, poor, was poor because they are lazy. And the reason she had that mindset was because she was born into a very wealthy family. And she believed that anyone whose parents are poor is because the parents didn't work hard enough. And she, that thing followed her until the time she, went, you know, she was going to get married. And anyone that didn't have financial strength, she doesn't regard them as an option at all, no matter the value system of, in the heart of those people. She just felt that they were lazy. You know, and thank God she met me. Amen. Because, well, I, I, I hope so, because after service we didn't meet again, so I didn't know whether, but I know that I had the opportunity to try to dislodge that nonsense from her heart. Hallelujah. And if she was able to obey God, then she won't, she won't miss it. But if that thing is there, I'm almost certainly sure, except the mercy of God intervened that she was going to marry the wrong person. Because our value system is what? It's wrong. You're going to see a son of Satan who has some bucks, amen, <laughs> who has some dollars or some millions, and you're going to assume that this person fits the bill. And we have all kinds of things like that, issues and structures like that, mindsets like that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some people come into marriage, they can't separate the influence of their family, their extended family, from their new family. Have you seen people like that? Strongholds. Strongholds. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Amen. So last week I said that there are three tentacles. Whenever you see strongholds, you may not see it. We are definitely going to see three things. And I call them the tentacles. You're going to see imagination. Somebody say imaginations. See, high things. I say thoughts. Give me that second Corinthians so that we'll see, so that we won't say it's my opinion. It's what the scripture says. Second Corinthians 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but what? Mighty in God. For what, sir? You, you are not saying it confidently. For what? Pulling down strongholds. What does verse 5 says? Casting down what? Argument. Another word for argument is speculations and imaginations. And every high worth thing that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into what? Captivity to the obedient. So, scripture sort of classifies these tentacles to three things. Arguments. Amen? High things. And it's not just one thing. It's things. Every high thing. So, it's not just one thing. Amen? And then what? Thoughts. 
And then these arguments or these imaginations and the heightening, the Bible said that their purpose is to war against the knowledge of God. Is to do what? Is to war. Stronghold, the purpose of a stronghold in your life is not just to make you poor. Poverty can be an extended result. And when I mean poverty, I mean poverty of the, you know, poverty is not just lack of cash, it's the mindset. Tribalism. If whatever it is, is that is the result of a stronghold in someone's life, the result you see is not the primary purpose. It's just the effect. You know what you call byproducts? The primary purpose is to war against the knowledge of God. Is to attack, is to conflict, is to resist the knowledge of God. So when a stronghold is in someone's life, there is that constant war to resist the knowledge of God. Hallelujah. The purpose of the thoughts, you know, and that thought we'll see later that it's not just random thought. You know, it's like I'm thinking Google and Nepal. Ah, you know, sometimes you can sit down and, you know, I say, ah, and what I feel like eating today is, uh, is fried rice garnished with chicken and all that. And you are thinking, no, it's not those kind of thoughts we're talking, we're talking about. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So, but thoughts, my imaginations, mindsets, they war against what? The knowledge of God. And they also war against what? Second thing they war against is what? The obedience of, someone said the obedience of Christ. That's what the war against. That's what the war against. They are set up by Satan to dislodge. And that's why scripture says, if you read 2 Corinthians 4, it said, God who has commanded light to shine out of darkness has what? Has shined in our hearts to reveal the light of the word, of that knowledge. That knowledge, word knowledge, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is the same word knowledge here. It's called gnosis. So this Satan is constantly warring against that knowledge of God. In our lives, it's constantly, and it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not relenting on it at all. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! The word argument here is, trans, is, is the Greek word logismos, and it's translated imagination, speculations, reasoning, and intent. Hallelujah! It is the imaginations that comes from heart posture. Do you get what I'm saying? It is the what? Is the imagination that comes from what? Your heart posture. So that's why I say it's not about imagining Google and Nepal or imagining. Some people's imagination is so advanced. My own imagination, I have become two times, I've done two times president of the United States, I've done two times president of Nigeria, you know, I've worked in the UN, I've. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've I've, I flew, I became Superman, saving the world, you know. That's why I like all those epic and action films. Once I watch it now, I just insert myself into the superhero. I love superhero movies. I've been Iron Man, I've been Thor, I've been... My imagination is, I've lived many, many lives. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's not such some random ephemeral thoughts like that. Hallelujah. It's talking about imaginations from your heart posture. The things that reveal who you do. I say, as a man thinks... Where? That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. The thoughts that expose your heart, that expose your value system, 
that expose your mindset, your perspective. You know, if I ask you, what is your goal in life? What are the things you treasure? Imaginations will begin to roll in some of your minds right now. If I say, what are the things you desire the most in this life? Imaginations will begin to roll. Some of those imaginations are coming from a wrong heart posture. Because if the heart is not sanctified and delivered, what comes off from it will be what? Defilement. The Bible says like, it's not the thing that you put into your mouth that defiles the man. He said, but that which was what comes out from within. He said, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Murder is from the heart. It's from the heart. Heart posture. Somebody, their heart posture is, I want to be, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be rich. Ah, no, I'm going to be so rich. I, I want to be rich at all costs. And then they begin to imagine money ritual. Am I making sense? Some people imagine corrupt practices. How do I cut corners? They said, buy this thing for this amount. You said, tell the person standing in, give me a second hand. <laughs> Business owners. How many of you have been to Computer Village? Or, <laughs> was there, I was in Computer Village. One guy, you know, met, you know, those boys, they set themselves on the road. If you've been to Computer Village very well, you see them. They said, you want to buy this phone? Oh, dear, this is the price. If you go inside the shop, I will sell it for you for half the price. You too, you think that you are smart. You know, hard poster responding to hard poster. You too, you want to be smart. You want to be sharp. Both of you are wrong. <laughs> Amen. You know that that's the price. How can they sell it for you half the price? On, under what economic equation? But you don't mind because that conversation is exposing your own hard posture. So you think you are sharp. He too is sharp. There is a game of who is sharper. Then he shows you the phone. He said, test it. You test it. You do everything. It's fine. He said, okay, let me package it for you. And then he just did like this. Did like this. By the time the one that he gave you is not the same one again. The one he now finally gives you is for food that is inside. <laughs> but you've paid. And the moment he hands you, he hands over the phone to you and you collect the money, just blink, the guy is gone. Before you know it, and then that cold feeling begins to creep on you that what he got me. <laughs> I remember the, when Bold 5 first came out, I, I went to repair one of my small phones then. The guy entered that shop, he was sweating and crying. Big man, big as in big. I think then it was, Bold 5 was a lot of money. When I saw the thing they gave him too, I was like, ah. I've had those guys, now the real guys who sell the real phones. Because he entered, he was asking if they know the guy that he met him downstairs. And that the guy said they know, and that he's the brother of the person. The guy said, I don't know him. <laughs> he lied to him. He said, please, let me trace. He said, trace who? We don't even know the person. Hallelujah. And I saw the phone, I said, ah! The thing, they stuffed it. <laughs> Amen. Had posture. Satan with tempt you and give you imaginations based on your what? Your heart posture. Your heart posture. He will set traps for you based on your heart posture. Arguments. Imaginations. Hallelujah. <coughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Give me Genesis chapter 6. 
very quickly, verse 5 and 6. We have lots of scriptures, so I'll just, you know, mention some of them so that we can write them down unnecessarily. Verse 5. He said, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was what? What was the first thing he saw? What was the first thing he saw? Those wickedness are actions, right? Are they actions? Amen. Let's stress. Are they actions? Then what was the next thing? He said, that every word, intent of the thoughts. Not just the thoughts. Do you get the point now? Not just the thoughts. The intent of the word, of the thoughts of his heart was what? Evil. It was the heart posture of evil that was provoking and producing wicked imaginations. And because the imagination is wicked, the action is wicked. Am I making sense? And it was not a one-off wickedness. The Bible says it was what? Continual. So there was a system that had been installed in the heart of men in this chapter that was constantly producing evil. And it was so much. What did the next verse say? Verse 6. He said, and the Lord said, I will what? I will destroy. No, verse 6. He said, and the Lord was what? Was sorry that he what? That he made. He looked at man and he saw a complete corruption of the image that he made. And God was disappointed. He said, and was sorry. And God grieved. It must have been a very terrible picture that God saw for God to grieve. God grieved in his heart. Because of what? Because of the wickedness. And it wasn't just about the action. It's that stronghold that had been what? Had been built in the heart. That was producing evil intent continually. Hallelujah. Imagination. We're talking about imaginations, right? Psalm chapter 2, very quickly. Well, let's, read, let's read Mark 7. Mark 7, 20 to 23. That you can write down Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. And he said, What comes out of a man? That word that defiles him. Verse 21. He said, For from within, out of the heart, proceeds what? Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness. An evil eye. He's not talking about these physical eyes. He's talking about imaginations now that come as fruit of heart posture. An evil eye. Blasphemy. Pride. Foolishness. It's a result of an evil heart. Hallelujah. The kind of foolishness that says there is no God. The Bible said the fool has said where? Where did he say it? In his heart. Say all these evil things come from within. And they are the ones that do what? That defile the man. These are the things that bring defilement. Defilement. Evil imaginations from heart poster. Hallelujah. Psalm chapter 2 verse 1 to 4. Very quickly. Why do the nations rage and the people do what? 
plot a vain thing. I think it was King James that said, imagine a what? A vain thing. So why do the heaven rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Verse 2. He said, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and the what? And the anointed. This, this seems to be territorial um, connections, right? Territorial deliberations, right? But where did this start from? Imaginations. Satan sold the thoughts. And then A began to speak to B. King A began to speak to King B. King B began to speak to King C. And then they began to do what? They began to take counsel together. They began to set themselves against the Lord and against an anointed. What do they say? Verse 3. Say, let us break their bands asunder and cast away the cords from us. He that sits in the heavens shall do what? Shall laugh. The Lord shall do what? Have them in what? The Lord could spot the origin of those movements, those movements of disobedience. He could spot it that it was from the imaginations of the heart. Imaginations of the heart. Very, very dangerous stuff. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful. It is the reason why we always trust in God, the Lord, to change our heart posture. Hallelujah. Because when the stream is polluted, what comes from it cannot be clean. Hallelujah. Am I making sense? And that's why your problem is not external issues. Your problem is internal. It's internal. Is that the internal environment be set in order, be set according to the will of God. Am I making sense this morning? Hallelujah. Some of this, the second thing, you know, we've talked about argument. The second thing is high things. The word high things, and that translation says lofty things. Somebody say lofty things. And lofty thing, the Hebrew word is hupsoma. It means value system and treasures that we exalt. Things that our heart what? Treasure. Value system that we do what? The things that, 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 that are high before us. You know? And I said that these are conceived ideas, values, convictions that have been solidified and formed in the heart. And these things frame our aspirations, our hope, and our ambitions. These are high things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They frame what? Our hopes, our aspirations, and our what? And our desires. And they also constitute our fears and fantasies. Hallelujah. 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 Am I making sense this morning? Fantasies. How many of us have fantasies here? You fantasize about anything. It's not that the fantasies itself broadly is wrong. It is what you fantasize about. And how strongly those things are in your heart. High things. In the temptation of Jesus, Luke chapter 4. Very quickly, Luke chapter 4. Verse 5 to 8. And the devil, taking him up to a high mountain, did what? Showed unto him all the what? Kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Verse 6. And the devil said unto him, All this what? All this what? Oh no. Let's, all these words. That is the key word. 
Somebody, that's the key word. The Bible said it showed him the glory of this world, right? The kingdoms of this world, right? That's what he showed him. But what did he tell Jesus? What did he tell Jesus was selling to him? Power. Power. He knew. He knew the destiny of Jesus. Am I making sense? The Bible says that the destiny of Jesus was that if he went to the cross and died, the Bible says that God was going to exalt him. Philippians chapter 2. He said, and God had what? Had given him a name that is what? Above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every issue what? Power was embedded in Jesus' destiny. But the one that comes from God. Hallelujah. But Satan wanted to offer him a shortcut to a counterfeit one. So, when he was showing Jesus, Jesus just wasn't seeing, Jesus just wasn't seeing, you know, beautiful mountains and the glory of empires and all that. What he was showing Jesus was power. Was power. And scripture called him, called it the temptation of Jesus. You know what a temptation is? It's something you can fall for. Am I making sense? If Jesus couldn't fall, there will be no need to, for him to be tempted. Can they tempt you now? So let's say, what is what's the food you hate most? Do you have a food that you hate most? So people don't have food that... <laughs> Can they tempt you with what you hate the most? Is it possible? The nature of temptation is that it must have affinity in your heart. That's why it's a temptation in the first place. It's, your heart likes it. There is an affinity. There is, a, there is proximity. There is a connection with that thing in your heart. That is why it is a temptation. Some of us, some of you like fried rice. If you smell it, even when God is giving revelation, you say, Jesus, hold on, hold on. Hold it right there. Some of us, we like enjoyment. There's a means of enjoyment in this church. Like enjoyment. And there's nothing wrong with that. Am I making sense? Some of us, we like clothes. We could spend money buying clothes. You know, our wardrobe is full and overflowing. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is a line. Am I making sense? There is a what? There is a line. When, when you cross over. Something has caught you. It's called a stronghold. Then you begin to borrow money because you want to measure up. Your every summer or every winter or every new month, there must be something new in your wardrobe. It's become an addiction. Something has held you. It's become a stronghold. Jesus had affinity to power. So Satan wanted to tempt. Let, let us test this thing. Whether we can enter him. Hallelujah. Say to them and show them. Say, all this power I will give thee and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will. I do what? I give it. Verse 7. If thou therefore with what? Worship me. It shall be what? So what was Satan's request? Worship. Give me worship. I give you power and glory. Men are responding to that in their millions and billions today. 
So it's, it's the reason why men will do anything. Have you ever heard politician that compromises the game is the name of the game? That's the system. They even start off with good desires. You say, but you know, in this game, the nature of the game is that you can't just, you have to sit at a table with some people. You have to shake hands across the table. So you are shaking defiled hands. You are shaking corrupt hands. You are bandied with bandits and corrupt people. Before you know it, they are introducing you to diabolic things. Say, yeah, it's because I need to ask, uh, but then my destiny is to be a leader. We know, but the process has to be what? It has to be clean. Otherwise, you have failed. Tell your neighbor, don't take the shortcut. Say the process is as important as the destination. Don't jeopardize the process for the destination. You have failed. You have failed. Hallelujah. So Satan tried to see whether Jesus would value the destination more than the process. So he began to tempt him. Say, give me worship. I'll give you power and glory. What was Jesus' response? Verse 8. He said, and Jesus answered, I sent you. Do what? Get what, sir? Behind me, Satan. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. And him only. Thou shalt serve. There is a stronghold in Jesus. Is the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. And no other temptation could dislodge that. Say, get it behind me, Satan. All these things you are showing me doesn't matter. God must give us strength to come to this place that Jesus was. Hallelujah. Because some of us, we don't have strength yet for it. Amen. Some of us, if they give us one million dollars now, our voice will begin to shake. We can't even speak in tongues. <laughs> Nairas, how many of you have been in a dream where you're in that dream, something is chasing, something is chasing, and the thing grabs you, and then you want to scream to so, There is no strength. Strength is gone. That's the way some people so lie in real life. When they give them one million and just see it like this, their voice begins to shake. I heard a story of a man, you know, who was invited by one big politician, you know, in the last administration. I said, we want to launder, you know, was it 10 billion, 5 billion through you? You know, the guy said, what? 5 billion? He said, we just launder it. Don't worry. You know, by the time, yeah, this will catch you. Max, max, they will collect maybe 2 billion. But the remaining 3 billion is, uh, <laughs> you know, he said, he had to go and call his wife. <laughs> because he could not give an answer straight away. His, his soul was shaking. But thank God for a godly wife. That one I said to you, ah, no. This guy is a pastor. That was the reason why they identified him. Because he looked clean. Nobody would suspect him. I'm making sense. So that's why he was a target. His wife now stood. I said, no. Go back and say to them that no. And he went back and said to them no. You know they changed it for him. He said, we'll kill you because we already told you our secrets. That became a battle again. 
Another person will say, ah, I'm sorry. It was a joke. I just wanted to test you. Okay, come and launder it. Because he overcame the fear of money, right? I mean, the temptation for riches, right? But the, the fear of death knocked him down. But he stood. And God delivered him. Because they really did, they did, they did come after him. Hallelujah. High things. Somebody say high things. May God help us to see the high things that need to be dislodged in our hearts. Those things that give us the impetus for misbehavior. Those things that Satan can set traps around. High things. High things. Some brothers, yellow lady, once they see yellow girl, the voice, something, one voice will be, just be speaking. It's not God's voice, so. High things. High things. High things. See, when, when, some, when you ask some people, describe the kind of person who says, I want this, I want this, I want this, you just see high things. Calibrations of Satan. High things. Hallelujah. It's like a car that is, has a new engine and is headed towards a major obstacle and is moving at high speed. If God doesn't intervene, what's going to be at the end of that stuff? It's going to be an accident. Be careful the things you allow. Be careful of the things that are being sold into your heart. You know, marriages don't just break. Hallelujah. Marriages don't just break. Before every breakage or divorce or separation are things that Satan has set strongholds that have set, unbendable things or things that it, both partners couldn't afford to bend. Because when both partners bend to the will of God, that marriage will be salvaged. Am I making sense? But people sometimes are too strong. The Bible says that ye have made the word of God. God was, Jesus was speaking to the Jews. said, you have made the word of God of none effect by what? Your traditions. There's some things you hold very highly. And you will resist God touching it or changing it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give me Luke 16 very quickly, 14 to 15. Now the Pharisees who were what? What was the high thing? Who were what? Talk now. Why? Am, am I boring you? Should I end the, and be going home? Amen. The Pharisees who were what? Also heard all these things. And what was their response? Go back a little bit. Let's, let's see what they heard. Can you, give, can you give me 12? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and do what? And love the other. Or else he will be loyal to the one and what? And despise. You cannot what, sir? What was their response? Verse 14. Now the Pharisees, who were what? Lovers of mammon. Because there is a law for mammon in their heart, they rejected knowledge. They rejected truth. Their response to the truth of God's word, God's word was to deride it. Was to mock it. They also heard all these things and they what? And they derided him. 
The thing wanted to shake the foundation of their heart. And they resisted it. Verse 15. And he said to them, you are those who do what? Who justify yourself before. That's the second stronghold. They will do anything to justify themselves. They will do anything to resist accountability. Say you are those who justify yourself before men. But God does what? Knows your heart. He said, for the things that is highly esteemed among men is an abomination before God. The things that we hold very highly, they are not Be careful the things you hold very highly. It might be an abomination before God. Be careful of the things you treasure. Be sure that God treasures what you treasure. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's why scripture says that you can't discern the will of God. Romans chapter 12. Until your mind is being renewed. Because God's thoughts are not your thoughts. God's ways are not your ways. So there has to be a renewal and a recalibration. For you and God to come under alignment. Because with your own renewed mind. You will resist the will of God. Even if it's revealed to you. The Bible says the carnal mind. Cannot what? Please God. Because it's enmity. The nature is enmity against God. So God needs to do a work of renovation and remove those things so that his will, when it is revealed to you plainly, you will respect it and you will embrace it. Am I making sense? Am I making sense? Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8 verse 39 very quickly. High things. Go back to verse 35. Let's read it. Who shall separate us from the what? From the love of Christ. Our tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or what? A sword. As it is written for your sakes, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who do what? Who loved us. Verse 38. He said, for I am persuaded that neither what? Death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Verse 39. Nor height. That word height is another word for lofty things. Is another word for what? High things. They are set up to bring about what? Separation. You know I said I said the purpose of stronghold in your life is to fight against the knowledge of God. That's what they are set up for. Love the things. And then let's go to the final one. Thoughts. Somebody say thoughts. The Greek word for thoughts are noma. N-O-E-M-A. And it's thinking pattern. Purpose and perception. It's also translated mind. And it's translated the design of your heart. I like that one. Say the design of your heart. Every one of us has designs of our hearts. The frame. The schemes, if I word translate schemes of a heart. If I that scripture that says, for we are not unaware of Satan's devices, is that same word translated thinking pattern here? They are the workings of Satan in the mind. That brings about Godless purpose. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said there is the thinking device of the earth. It is, this is the inclination of the earth. 
where the seeds of either life or death sprouts from. The inclination of your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, very quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. What does it say? Yeah, that was the scripture I was quoting. It said, let Satan, go back to 10. Let's read it in context. Now whom you forgive anything, I also what? Forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Verse 11. Lest Satan should do what? Should take advantage of us. For we are not what? Ignorance of his what? Devices. Now in context here, the issue here was the issue of forgiving somebody who had sinned. Am I making sense? Remember in verse 1 Corinthians, there was this man <laughs> who did so grief. The Bible said that this man was even committing um, adultery with his father's wife. And Paul gave a very strong injunction that if the person doesn't repent, they should chase, they should excommunicate the person. Hallelujah. Now, I guess the person repented. Amen. Because now Paul was saying that if you've forgiven him, I have also what? I've forgiven him. And then he brought another perspective into it. He said, because when you, are, when you remain in unforgiveness, Satan has caught you in his devices. See, any time the church responds in judgment rather than mercy, we've been caught in the devices of the enemy. Hallelujah. And what I mean by judgment is, I mean condemnation. You know the church, we like condemning people. We like condemning people. It's the reason why people have become completely different when they come to church. People protect their issues when they come to church. Because they don't trust church anymore. Somebody comes to this one and says, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm repenting. I did this, 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 and this. You may hear this, this on Insta blog. That's what church has become. Unfortunately. Hallelujah. We have allowed the enemy to, to seep in and gossips and slander and mockery and looking down. Have you heard people who say that hey, it's because I don't have clothes to wear. That's, that's why I cannot come to church. Something is wrong with them. Amen. Let's not excuse that. But it may also be that in the assembly where that person goes, they value such things. If you don't dress nice, they put you at the back. <laughs> Amen. If you come with a certain type of car, they give you priority parking. Devices. Canal devices. Hallelujah. So Paul was saying here that let's not give the enemy a foothold. Let's not allow the evil of unforgiveness to come and become another stronghold. Because the initial stronghold was lawlessness, right? That was what was causing the all kinds of sexual immorality and all the nonsense that Paul was trying to address. Now he was addressing something else again. Now be careful. And that's the nature of these strongholds. That if you get one, they will shift the goals so that you don't get the second one. Am I making sense? You have to be careful. Hallelujah. Give me seven coverage. That same seven Corinthians. Give me verse, chapter 3, verse 14. Very quickly. Okay, give me 13 now. Let me read it in context. You see, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, verse 14, but their minds were what? 
Where was the blindness? Their minds were blind. And that's why if you read Hebrews, Hebrews said that they always err in their hearts. That was where Satan set up shop. Their thoughts. The frame. He was always walking in their hearts. Whenever God sends the word, there was always a competing knowledge. There's always a competing sight that is attacking and conflicting with God. God has said. God said you can take the land, but their mind was saying, but there are giants there. Oh, those giants are big. Oh, those giants are mighty. Oh, those giants are, are strong. They are warriors. What did Saul tell David? Saul told David when he was going to fight Goliath. He said, young man, you are a youth. You don't have battle experience. He said, but you see that guy you are going to fight has been a warrior since his days of youth. So you can't go like this. Let me give you, let me reinforce you. Hallelujah. Thoughts. Thoughts. The image, the knowledge that they had of Goliath had imposed a stream of thoughts in their heart that was giving birth to intimidation and fear. Thoughts. So when Goliath comes out, before even swinging one sword, all he has to do is just to talk. The Bible said there was fear and trepidation in the whole camp of Israel. Everybody run away. King, queen, everybody, army, captain, everybody, battalion, all of them scatter. What? Disarmed a whole people. What? Even the archers that could have shot at very distance, everybody was disarmed. Because Satan could connect to one thing in their heart. But there was some, there was someone who was reinforced at the backside of deserts. When he heard that same voice of intimidation, something else stirred up inside him that was different from the others. And because there was a different kind of reinforcement, when he looked at Goliath, he did not see the same person that all the others saw. All the others saw an intimidating fear, or an intimidating figure of fear that cannot be confronted. He saw a non-circumcised Philistines that, as a matter of urgency, they need to take off his head. He didn't need to go home and think about it. Right there, he said, what will be done to the man that will kill this guy, this idiot? Right there. His brother had to scold him. You are out to deal you have come again. This is how you always behave. You think this one is lion and bear that you fought. The guy has always been crazy since child. But that grace came from the knowledge of God. The same situation, different response. Different response. Stronghold. Every one of them disarmed. He was like, I'll kill this one. Hallelujah. After he rejected the arm of flesh, perhaps he went to the river bank and did what? And picked five smooth stones. The guy knew what he wanted. He was dead set on what he wanted to do. There was no ambiguity. 
And you could see that seriousness when he spoke back. You could I say, am I a dog that you should come to? He said, come, you come to me with spear and with sword and with arrow. He said, I come to you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defile. And I will take off your head today. And when the one down was like, you, you this, you this, I Bible say, David ran towards him. Oh my God. May you be strongly reinforced for righteousness. This was the same guy, the whole army of a nation, intimidated them for 40 days. This young boy, who has never had one battle experience, was running towards the same guy to take him out. He was built different. Hallelujah. He was what? He was built different. God wants to build us in such a way that some thoughts don't ever occur to us. Am I making sense? That is what God wants to do. He wants to reinforce you so that some ideas and some imagination don't occur to you. We are not even considering it. Hallelujah. The three, what did the three Hebrews say before them? He said, we do not consider these things in the manner at which we even answer you. He said, it's not it. we are not even thinking about it. We are not going to bow to your image. Throw us into the fire. It doesn't, he said, whether God save us or he doesn't save us, it's not, a, it's not a concern. Those guys were built different. They were built different. When you are properly reinforced, there is nothing Satan can throw at you. Am I, am I making sense? That's why Paul said, he said, for I'm convinced that nothing, neither principality, nor power, nor things of this world, nor things to come, shall separate us from what? That is the work God wants to do in you. And that's the most important work. More than any other thing. Is that he reinforces you with righteousness. And that you have nothing. Scripture says, Jesus said, he said the prince of this world has come. And has what? Has found nothing. Has found nothing in me. That's what the work God wants to do in your life. And in mine, that there is nothing, no fear, no worry, no anxiety, no infirmity, no temptations, no distraction. Am I making sense? No deceit. You are set. That was the knowledge Paul had in Philippians 3. And he said, he said, all things that were gained to me. All things I ever treasure in my life. All the things I've worked for and I've sweated for and I've burnt the midnight candle for. All the things that constitute my badges. Say I counted them as dung. For the excellency of the knowledge of God. See, and I, yea, count all things as dung. That I may what? I may know him. That is what the removal of stronghold does to you. It changes your focus. You can see very clearly, very plainly, the things that bring glory to God and the things that are highly esteemed of man. And then you will always choose God. 
Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 11 very quickly. Isaiah 11, are you there? Are you there? So, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out from his roots. Verse 2. So, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon them. The Spirit of what? Wisdom. Let's read together. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of the knowledge and of the what? Fear of the Lord. Say divine reinforcement. Say it with conviction now. This is the stronghold God wants to plant and build in you. Spirit of wisdom, of understanding, spirit of counsel and might. <laughs> Say that word again. Might, the weapon of our welfare, not carnal, but are mighty through God. Spirit of might, of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Verse 3, what does it say? He says, His delight. By the ministration of these seven spirits, what is happening to his delight? His delight is where, sir? The fear of the Lord has become his ambition. He's become the high thing. He's become the what? The panting of his heart. He said, and he shall not judge. Because there has been a change in delight. There has been a change in judgment. Oh, are you hearing me this morning? Because God has tinkered with something. The way he sees has become different. The way he judges must become different. So he shall not judge by the sight of the eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Verse 4. So, but with righteousness. He shall what? He shall judge the poor and decide with what? Equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lip. He shall what? Slay the wicked. Hallelujah. Verse 5. He said, Righteousness shall be the what? The belt of his loins and faithfulness the what? The belt of his waist. That is the result of the workings of God in our lives. Suddenly, we are no longer judging by the sight of the eyes. Paul said that to me. He said, now we know we know man after the flesh. Suddenly, our calibration system has changed. He said, before, we wish to know men after the flesh, after their stature, after their upbringing, after their tribe, after their status in society. Whether they are educated or not educated, whether they can speak good English or not speak good English, whether they can be squeezed English or American. So those are the things we used to evaluate men before. It's suddenly now a new system of understanding comes. Christ becomes the standard. Christ becomes the standard. So it doesn't matter what you have. Once Christ is absent, you have no value. You have no value. And if the man who sleeps on the street, who doesn't even have a house, has Christ, we understand that that one carries a treasure that the age to come is even longing for. No, we know man after the flesh. A system of thought thinking, a new system has come into place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. 
You can write down Matthew chapter 15, verse 16 to 20. You can write down Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. You can write down Matthew chapter 9, verse 2 to 5. Hallelujah. Thoughts. Let's read that Matthew chapter 9. Very interesting very interesting verse. Matthew 9, please. Matthew 9. He said, and he entered into a ship and passed over and came to his own city. Verse 2. And behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on the bed. When Jesus saw their faith. What did Jesus see? Where was their faith? Thank you. God bless you. Their faith was where? In their heart. He said, to the paralytic son be of good cheer your sins are what are forgiven you now look at the verse he said and at once what does that mean immediately right some of the scribes said where did they say it where did they say it this man does what this man is a blasphemer how can he say that somebody's sins are forgiven Look at verse 5. Jesus, verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, what did he say to them? Why do you think? What are they, what are they thinking? What did they thought? What was the real thought? This man blasphemes, right? By saying that your sins are forgiven. In the realm of the spirit, what were they doing? They were manufacturing evil. You see, and why, if you look at it, you would think, is it not, is not too, was Jesus not being too harsh? But until you realize that they could simply say, they could have thought, we don't understand what this guy is saying. The reason why they thought of blasphemy was because of presumption. Was a reason, with, was because of what? presumption of knowledge. They were damn sure that by what they know of the law, this man is a blasphemer. Presumption. It had become an issue of pride. The Bible said they did not even think about it. They said at once. They said this man, they immediately judged him. They immediately condemned him. They said this man is a blasphemer. For simply saying somebody's sins are what? He did not even say God. He did not say anything about God though. Because that should be blasphemy, right? When you say something against God. But see the level of corruption that presumption of knowledge has brought them. They were quick to condemn. They were quick to pass judgment. They were quick to annihilate people in their hearts. I would say that thing in your heart is evil. Whenever you are quick to judge somebody, you have not even known the full story. Be careful. You are going the way of the Pharisees. So why do you think evil in your hearts? Hallelujah. 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 Write down Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Give me Isaiah 55, 7. I think we're going to end with that. Thank you, Jesus. So let the wicked forsake his what? His way 
And the what? And the unrighteous man, his what? His thought. So, two things that make the wicked man wicked is his ways and his thoughts. And that was what made him to stray away. He said, now let him what? Let him return to the Lord. And he will do what? He will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will what? Abundantly what? Pardon. Now, if you juxtapose this verse with 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3, where scripture says that if the gospel is hid, it's hid to those who are what? Who are perishing. Those who are going astray. Where is the instrument of going astray comes from? The thoughts, first of all. The thoughts. The value system. The things you value. The things you, you hold on to. The things that are came to you. The issues that you think are your identity. That is where the enemy sets the trap for you to go astray. Tonight I want us to come before the Lord. I mean this morning I want to come before the Lord. And ask God to examine our hearts. What are the instruments? What are the instruments that the enemy has set that is always making us go astray? Those are issues we have to bring to God for God to resolve this morning. These are strongholds. These are strongholds. Scripture says concerning the Israelites, it said they always err in their heart. They always err in their heart. Why? Because the word of God was not mixing with faith. Every time the Lord shines the light, there is a blockage in their hearts. There is a blockage. There are things that they held on to so tightly that they were not willing to let go. So the word of God became of non-effect. Thoughts, imaginations, things that are highly esteemed that is conflicting against the knowledge of God. This morning I want us to pray that Father search me and take out everything. Expose the things that I'm holding on to so tightly. Some of us, the, the, the things we struggle with, we struggle with them because we have come to love them. We have come to love sin. We have come to love unrighteousness. It is not a, a, an issue of God deliver me from something I don't like. It is an issue of God deliver me from something I love. I love this thing, but it is death. And I need to be delivered from it. So let's ask God this morning. Father, we pray. I pray. Search my heart, O oh God. Search my heart, O oh God. Search my heart, O oh God. Search my heart, O oh God, and expose whatever deposits of darkness. Expose the frame of my heart that is not, that is not you know, in alignment with you. Expose the, where, expose the depths of my heart where disobedience and rebellion come from. Expose it, Lord. What is this thing that I'm holding on to so highly and is conflicting against your word and against your knowledge in my life? What is this thing that I desire so much that is not making me to wait on you? What is this thing that, I'm that, that I want so badly and I can't wait on you and I can't wait for you and I can't wait for your time? What are the value systems that has put pressure in my life and has become an issue that is making me go astray and to stray away from your word? Deliver me this morning. 
Let the light of your word, let grace come for me to, to, to resist and to pull down. The Bible says we should cast down imaginations and every high thing. Those things must come down. Scripture says, let every valley be exalted and let every mountain be brought low. Come on, pray this morning. Come on, pray with me. When Jesus came to that well of Samaria, he met that woman. One of the first things that came out was the tribalism in her heart. Jesus said, give me water. He said, how can you, a Jew, be asking me, a Samaritan, for water? And because of that stronghold of tribalism, she would have lost out on the salvation that Christ was bringing that day. Jesus said, if you know him who speaks to you, you would have asked him for living water. She was at the moment of, being, of jeopardizing her chance to receive living water because of strongholds in her heart. But God was merciful. God was merciful. Ask God to be merciful to you this morning and expose anything in me, anything, anything in me that will make me jeopardize your word, that will make me jeopardize the life and the grace and the peace that you give.